Welcome to Beyond the OR with Dr. Kevin Brenner. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. I want to take you beyond my world of plastic surgery, diving deep into exciting hot topics and delving even deeper into compelling characters that I've met along the way. We'll be talking with attorneys, actors, comedy writers, Navy SEALs, and many other fascinating and inspiring people with truly intriguing stories to share. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to Beyond the OR. Uh, today, we have two amazing guests, two very unassuming and very impressive individuals who have devoted their lives to helping special forces and, and veterans reintegrate back into society. Uh, today, we have Kevin and, and Shannon Stacy. Welcome, Kevin and Shannon. It is so nice to see you guys. Um, so Kevin is true hero and founder of Station Foundation, which we're going to learn all about. That's what today's show is. It's about Station Foundation. Uh, he's a combat leader uh, dedicated to helping special operations community reconnect with life after war. Nothing short of remarkable. And his beautiful wife, Shannon, uh, also a true advocate for military families and has background in speech language pathology and now as co-founder and director of Station Foundation, uh, also helping out our veterans. Welcome, guys. So nice to see you. Nice I, to see I, you. I, I got to say, Kevin, as good as you look, Shannon, you are like glowing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I really mean that. You look like a new human being. Oh, thank you. you. Thank you. I feel that way too. So, I just was told that by a couple people the other day I, I as mean, well. Rosie. I'm, I, I, Rosie. I'm, not, I'm not even, I mean, even from the last time that you and I talked, because it was a video, it was a video chat, which was what, a month or so ago? A month, about a month ago, I, mean, I feel like. Like legitimately look, look like a different human being. Kevin, are, are you with me on this? Yeah, it's, uh, I know we'll talk about station, but what you, um, what you did for our family and for our lives is is li literally life changing. And from a physical standpoint, you can see it with Shannon on Zoom right now. But it's it's remarkable. It's, it really is. Yeah, and it's enveloped like our whole lives in a good way. You well, know. So I, before, that, I'm so happy to hear that. And so, just to give you a little bit of background, to give our viewers and listeners a little bit of background, um, and and actually, I'd probably rather have you guys tell the story or Shannon, you tell the story about, about how we met, but, but the short of it is, is Shannon, uh, was suffering from breast implant illness and the short story as was Elizabeth. That's how I met Elizabeth initially. Uh, also my patient way back when now she barely answers my phone calls and, um, now I work for him. Yeah. <laughs> Hardly. Um, but we we explanted you, and I mean the I, I I say this a lot about some of my patients. The the change is amazing. So maybe maybe I'd rather hear you tell the story because you tell it so much better. Hopefully, uh, so in 2014, I had a bilateral mastectomy, and during the reconstruction in the beginning of about January, 2015, I had implants put in for the reconstruction. So, you know, that was quite some time ago and I don't know how long I was having symptoms that were 
making it challenging for me to, to function at the level that I'm actually capable of functioning. Um, just fatigue and brain fog. Um, it really came to a head October of 2022. Um, I, I actually ended up in the ER because we didn't know what was going on. I just, um, I had no energy left to me and, um, when he gets scared, <laughs> when Kevin says you need to go to the ER, that's when, you know, it's like, oh, what I'm feeling is actually being seen by people now. Um, we couldn't figure it out. We did all kinds of testing. My heart was fine. You know, that we did looked at my brain, my brain was fine. Um, everything was getting tested and there was no result coming back, which was good. But you, were, um, you weren't fine, right? No, no, I I, I, I couldn't function. I ended up in bed for two months prior to the surgery. Uh, it was, it, I, I couldn't keep my eyelids open. They were so heavy. I couldn't make decisions. I couldn't actually sit down and do work. I knew what I needed to do, but I couldn't function and actually execute. Um, shortness of breath, heart palpitations, really physically, I could not do much. Walking up steps was enough for me to be short of breath. And I just, I just knew it wasn't getting better. So in March of 23, I, I say I self-prescribed bed, bed rest. Um, I was in bed for two months. The only thing I really, I could work from my bed. Um, and I could also just keep the energy to get my kids to where they needed to be in the evenings. Um, and then we were on, you know, we were informed of BII back in November of 22 and we wanted to complete all the testing to make sure we could rule out if it was my heart, if it was any cognitive issue, whatever it could be. Um, and there was, there were no results coming back as positive. So I knew I was going to get an explant regardless. Um, and so once my heart was cleared, we did consultations. One was not so good. I guess this person didn't believe in, in breast implant illness. And then not Kevin's many, friend. Do. Yeah, it, it was it was the worst experience ever. I was in the parking lot, like bawling. It takes a lot for me to cry as much as I did. And I, I felt hopeless is what I kept saying to Kevin. I said, I feel like I feel hopeless. This was supposed to be a good moment. I was getting it on the calendar. I was going to get the surgery. Things are going to get better. And I walked away feeling like, Oh my God, am I crazy? (laughs) Am I really this crazy? Cause that's what you start to feel too. Yeah. You you feel like, like, uh, I, I can relate to you, Shannon. It, 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 I was, I couldn't function either. I had acute pancreatitis. I was in and out of the hospital. They just kept saying I had an autoimmune disease, but they could never figure out what autoimmune disease. And then you start telling doctors, well, could it be a BII? And they're all looking at you like you're crazy until I found Dr. Brenner. And I'm like, can it be BII? And he knows, because when I went in there, I was gray. I just, hmm. my color, I had no color. My husband started worrying. I would get these dizzy spells. And and uh, Dr. Brenner, once he did the explant, is like, you're a different human being. And so I, I think it's so interesting that these doctors refuse to believe it because it's women on the forefront on social media talking about it. Yeah. And they just don't want to acknowledge it. And then we have doctors like Dr. Brenner that really kind of, when you go in there, you're like, oh my God, okay, I'm not crazy. It's a validation that is unexplainable when you're going through it. Yeah. My doctors out here and like my primary care physician and my cardiologist, they were 
they were not familiar with it at all. And they were being very cautious in regards to like making sure I asked as many questions as I should to make sure I was being safe if I was getting surgery done because they didn't know anything about it. Right. The consultation I did was in another state. Um, and the the doctor was a plastic surgeon and he just, I don't think believed in it at all. And uh, was just kind of almost pushing me out the door, but saying, we'll do the surgery if you want. We just, we don't know what it's going to happen. So, so then I, you know, it, it was, it was, you do feel crazy because yeah. nobody can figure it out. And then I was almost diagnosed with just chronic fatigue syndrome, which means you're just going to be tired for the rest of your life. Right. And you can't live like that, especially not when you have two young kids and you got a lot of evening activities you got to take them to and travel for. So it just, it was debilitating to say the least. And I was just so lucky that when I got one of my CAT scans done, cause they did, they tested my whole body, which I was kind of grateful for that. My doctors were so open to do so much testing to rule everything out. Um, but one of the cats when, during the CAT scan, the tech said, asked me how long I had my implants for. And she said, this is kind of something I'm hearing about, but there's this thing called breast implant illness. And once people get their implants out, they're they change significantly. And I'm just like, as soon as I heard that in November, I was going to get it done regardless of it being the main issue or not, just because I didn't want to have to deal with something like that down the road. So then Kevin's friend, Matt connected us to Dr. Brenner through another connection. And we finally (laughs) got to meet Dr. Brenner. By the time I met Dr. Brenner, I literally couldn't keep my head up. I was holding phone calls with my head on the table. Yeah. Like I put people on mute because I could still, I could still understand and I could still respond. It was just so much energy for my brain to make all those connections and, and actually complete it and have energy left. So I would just like put people on speaker, mute them. I'd have my head lying on the table. And then I'd like be able to unmute, pick myself up, talk, and then do it again because I couldn't sit upright. It was, it was, it was, it felt better to be hunched over because it didn't take as much energy. Just Mm. looking at you, like, I mean, I, I can show you pictures later, but like, and Kevin, Kevin knows this. She just looked like, I don't know, gaunt. Like maybe is is a word for it. Like your eyes looked like, like sunken and mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. your face was skinnier and um yeah just, well the just color you just didn't look well yeah right? and i looked and, catatonic and, at times too yeah. i just had nothing in me i could hear everybody i could understand everybody but there was no affect to my face it was right. just i didn't have any energy to devote to anything else other than survival pretty much that's well, where I, I was in yeah my skin changed colors the day after surgery i was gray and i actually had before and after gray had the surgery had burning in my feet the day after the surgery the burning was gone and my cheeks were pink i hadn't had you know i was like gray so you look fantastic wow. fantastic fantastic <laughs> and then also, congratulations and all, and, and thank you on top of that, and they, Shannon sort of hit on it. So we we met um, through Matt Wellborn, and you can explain who Matt is through Dr. Rob Bray, who um, it has involved me, and I've gotten involved in Valor for Life, which is a, a separate foundation which raises money for uh, medical care, surgical care primarily for our special ops veterans. Okay, um, and so we were. Fortunately for you guys and for me, 
we were able to meet that way, and we were able to take care of Shannon through the foundation. Oh, my God. That's so, amazing. So that was a win-win for all of us. Oh, my God. Right? Yes. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, the hardest part when you find out about BII is the challenges that come with it financially as well. So we are really grateful that Dr. Bray was able to connect us with you, and you were able to get involved with the foundation. So thank you. It was awesome. So she was, she's our first patient through Valor for Life. And this is, this is an evolving story. I've already gotten like, we, we posted your video, you know, the, our interview videos uh, about you and Valor for Life on Instagram. And like, I'm getting like all these, like people coming out of the word work. What, 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 what is this? How do we get involved? What? And so I'm trying to explain it, but it's not even, it's not even actually set up yet for plastic surgery because the, the, most of the patients, um, as you guys know, who have been treated through Valor for Life are like SEALs and Delta Force and so, people who've had spine, spine and uh, vertebral column injuries and things like that and chronic pain management. So it's really been spine surgery. And this, you're actually uh, patient number one uh, in the plastic surgery arm of yes. Valor. So yes. congratulations. So, so then, okay. And so then may, maybe you guys can tell us, tell us your connection to Matt Wellborn, who he is and Kevin, how you guys are friends slash yeah. colleagues. Yeah. It seems that, uh, Matt follows me everywhere I go <laughs> because this is recorded. He can hear that. It's a little awkward. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but but actually, um, so by trade, I was a, a helicopter pilot in the Army. Right. And for the first couple of years, I flew um, a reconnaissance scout platform uh, called the Kiowa Warrior. And I showed up to Iraq 03. I looked like I was, you know, 12 years old coming into combat. Like you're 12 years old. I, know. Well, I was going to say I, that. I cleaned up a little bit. But <laughs> thank you. I don't know if that's a compliment or <laughs> but. But Matt was the first guy that I flew with. So he trained me up for tactical flying. And then almost for the rest of our careers, we've, we served in the same units and flew a lot together, uh, particularly in, in the cavalry. Um, and Matt and I are our best of friends. Our, our kids are, are cousins and, and we're uncles oh. to each other and, and, um, and very, very tight. And um, Matt also separately has a, a very uh, robust and distinguished network of people. And Dr. Bray happens to be in there. And Dr. Bray has helped so many people quietly with spinal uh, surgeries. A lot of the guys I flew with, a lot of the guys that uh, I flew, you know, into combat. And, um, and he's been doing this just real quietly. Yep. And um, when Shannon was going through all of this, on, on the family side of things, uh, you know, from October onward, it was like a, a low level uh, panic attack at, like every day because we didn't know. And of course, you start with the big things. Right. And those take a while to rule out. And for a long time, we were looking at what life would be like um, had those things been uh, the diagnoses. And so as we're going on, we're bouncing from different people. And like Shannon said, like the hopelessness, I just reached out to Matt and I was like, Hey man, like where we keep hitting these walls, uh, I need help. And Matt right away was like, I'm on it. And, uh, that's how we ended up meeting and, uh, and connecting and, and, uh, tell you like from our vantage point, um, from my, my perspective and my kid's perspective, 
like you gave us Shannon back um, for, for a long time. It was like, something's off. And then it just, man, it hit, it hit like this crescendo right. and, and, and it, it wasn't getting better. And then surgery rehab coming out of it. Like I can confidently say that your work and, and your surgery and your care um, gave me my wife back and gave her, her life back. And now it's like, it's funny. It was so bad for a long time. We were just in this funk. And as we were coming out of it, uh, I remember there was a, a day we were in the kitchen and, and I typically like poke and, uh, you know, rib people and joke around. And uh, I, I said something to Shannon and it, and it came back at me. So she like fired back right. and I was like, oh, we're back. back. She's yes, back. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it was, it was amazing. And then even just yesterday, we were all at work and we're sitting up in the office and we're going through stuff, programming and everything. And there's just like, she brings this warmth and light into every, everywhere she goes that um, it was back and I could feel it. And it's, it's, it's something that we're learning to grow back into. Like, it's weird, right? Like you would think once the health comes back, you would like just snap right in and charge forward. But it takes a little bit of time to, you know, reacclimate and get accustomed and, and, and to, and to understand where your body's at each day and, and growing back into this like healthy space. And, and I tell you like your work and I know like we'll connect all the dots, but like there was, there was a limit that we could do for other people. And Shannon's surgery has reopened kind of that limit to where we can get back into at the depth we were doing before the, the healing and, and the, and the work that we do with the, the community in the special operations uh, community. Just in so ter- in terms of like the, 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 the- breadth of the number of, yeah. pay, of people that you can take care of. Right. Cause, and yep. we'll, we'll get into that. Cause I want, I want you to explain it from your perspective. Um, yeah. Like sort of like um, the, the, the weekend retreats or week long retreats that you guys do. Yeah. Right. You can only, yeah. You, you guys are basically running the show. Two of you. Right. I mean, I know you yeah, have other people, I know you have other people and you got a board of directors and they're all special forces connected and all that stuff. But, but you guys are the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, we have a great team. You know, we have people that that complement our work. But for the past eleven years or so, Shannon and I have been like the core facilitators of that work. And and now we're we you know ten years, eleven years into it, we have great uh, teammates across the country that that come in and and make our work even better. But at the core of it, it's 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 been Shannon and I. Um, you know, from, from bouncing babies on our lap to working with couples, to cleaning dishes in the kitchen, the the whole spectrum of work. Um, and a lot of that's done way, way behind the scenes. And now like the energy, the, the capacity, and I think to what Shannon was talking about before, just the cognitive work, right? Like the depth that we have to go with people and the ideas that we have to kind of like create so that we can, um, we can penetrate through some of the, the hardness that our community has and, and get into the, like the heart work and the soul work of what we do. Um, yeah, now it's back on. I mean, in the most simplest way, like Kev, you gave us 
and you gave these people a, a, a whole extended runway. So like, that's awesome. As, as much as you're in LA and doing your Beverly Hills thing, like you are, <laughs> your, your work is felt in Montana well, I, every day. I feel like I should, like, like I said, I feel like I should be in Bozeman with you guys. Well, I want to ne- next podcast. <laughs> so just to clarify for our listeners, um, station foundation. Tell us exactly what the Station Foundation is. Sure. Yeah, so I would say this: the Station Foundation, other than being a nonprofit that supports the special operations community, is an experience that we offer for families in special operations to come home from war. And, and that's what we're really good at. We, we help those families that are continue to serve or have found you know, the end of their runway with service in uniform and have transitioned out. Regardless of where they are, we meet them on their journey and we help them come home for more. And, and we do that in, in a series of different ways. Um, our biggest kind of you know ground zero is Montana. And that's where we offer these nine day really deep immersions that are experiential, that pull people out of their environments, disconnect them from the static and from, I think, the pressures of service in this community and allow them the space and time to approach the things that are really important to them in their lives. Often that's their family, their relationships with their partners, you know, their husbands or their wives. And um, the big thing is like, how do we take this community that does a majority of the work overseas combat wise and bring them back into our country and make them, you know, successful and impactful in their own community? So that we can break away from these stereotypes around veterans that you're either this like, you know, crazy guy who has a whole bunch of guns in his garage or like you're this like desperate, you know, uh, charity case, this like poor little puppy that needs to get brought in. Quite the contrary on on our community, like our community is rich with like very intelligent, hardworking, capable people. And that includes their spouses. Like that's not just the service member. Right. And so you have these incredibly powerful couples who have done a lot of work for our country. And most of that work has been overseas. And personally, I think like we're, we're missing an incredible opportunity to reintegrate these families back in just into our regular community, right? Like it doesn't have to be at the state or national level. It's like, who's coaching your kids little league team or, or who are the teachers that are involved in their lives? And how do we get these people back into the community so that they can lead from the front and we can take 20 years of uh, experience and benefit our country, uh, not just on like the national security side, but on, I think, like the soulful side of, of, of healing from, you know, two decades of nonstop war. So and, th- and this is really an issue. Not it's not just for special forces community. I mean, this is an issue for pretty much everyone who's served you know, um, in the military, when they're trying to reintegrate back in, you just happen to be focused on that, uh, on the special operations community. And, and I will say, you know, it's, it's, it's a unique community to say the least, right? I mean, every, I, I mean, you, I know you see movies and you hear stories of, um, you know, veterans who are downtrodden, you know, you hear unfortunate stories of suicide and things like that, and or just can't can't get a leg up once they come back, or and, severe and that, severe uh, panic, which which is like which is kind of where they come in. But but truthfully, and and maybe I'm a little 
jaded, but like everyone who I've met in the special forces community, you guys are a rare breed. I mean, it is a no quit mentality that, that they went into the military with that they stayed at the highest level. And then even when they come out, it's a no quit mentality. I mean, you know, we, we, we haven't really talked about it specifically, but every single person that I've met who's former special forces has now is now like killing it in their second career, whether that is as a TV producer, as a New York times, uh, bestselling author, uh, creator of a foundation. I mean, I, they're like just one after another. I mean, we had last season, we had, uh, Joel Lampert on who was, uh, uh, former seal, you know, he has TV show and he's got his game coming out and like ever, you guys are just so tremendously motivated to make things work. Um, and so it's, it's interesting when you hear that there are a fraction of special forces community who are having difficulty. And so, and that's why, that's why station foundation is so important. Yeah, you know, it's funny when we when we were looking at this problem set, you know, 11, 12 years ago, those were the those were like the traditional responses that I'd get. Like, why why special operations like they're highly assessed, they're well trained. You know, you you hear all the poster, you know, talking points about like resilient tip of the spear and no quit. And it's like, yeah, that's that's absolutely true of our community. Um we've also carried a tremendous amount of, of weight home from war and no matter how resilient and, and trained you are to some of these things, um, you know, you go over and you do, you know, these, a lot of the guys we're working with 15, 20 deployments. And, and these aren't deployments where they're checking IDs at the gate. Right. right? And, and nothing. Deployments, right. Kevin. 12? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yep. And I, and I'm, and I'm an average guy, right? Like I'm a low hanging fruit kind of guy. You talk to the guys that I fly with and, you know, when they come out here, literally can't remember how many deployments they've been on. Like it's wow. that, it's that amount. Wow. They, they have spent the last 20 years in combat. And so what does that do? That like over time without intention creates this like neglect in, in your home and, and neglect in your personal life and, and this separation from the things that really make us human. And we learn at, at, a, at a very kind of early age in, in this community to push that stuff down, compartmentalize it, put it in a place where it can't get out so that you can go and hit the target. And when you lose friends or bad things happen on target, uh, there's no time to process or to reconcile those things. It's, you know, dust off, get back up because you got another like 45, 50 days right. of combat before you go home. And you're like, and the other thing on is, it. Oh, yeah. So the things that kept me alive overseas and kept my friends alive, um, when you come home and you try and be a husband and a father, don't serve you. Uh, as a matter of fact, they they prevent you from accessing humanity in a lot of times. And um, I think that's the most important thing about our community is our humanity. So you'll hear the, the phrase of the motto from the ground guys is like, we get paid for the shots we don't take. And so what does that mean? It's like you're expected to be able to, in, in nanoseconds, in the shortest amount of time, move through a target and process something that's happening in complete chaos and understand whether or not that's a, that's a, a good person or a bad person. Right. And sometimes the bad people look a lot like good people and they do that intentionally. And so now you've got guys that are 
going nonstop and hitting these targets and and having to be able to process at that speed. And it just, it accumulates and it accumulates and it accumulates. And, and we do a really, really good job of going to war. Like our country's great at it. I mean, you know, we finish one, we're off to the next one. We do a really bad job of coming home. Really bad job. Yeah. My, and go ahead. I I'm have sorry. a family member that was in the military and, and he's now, he was deployed tons and tons of times. And now he suffers from severe panic and anxiety attacks and we're constantly taking him to the hospital, you know, and, and, um, this cause this, this, what you guys are doing, not only I'm sure is helping, um, come back, but also families that really desperately want to be able to help and, you know, uh, uh be some kind of support. Cause you kind of don't know what to do because I don't know what military life is. So this program is right. so important. I, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it does, you know, in order to reintegrate them back into our community, it requires the community to be engaged from on a lot of different levels, but this isn't like a military problem as much as it's a national problem in terms of how we, how we choose to go to war and what, what that means and not just focusing on the front side of combat, but recognizing what this will do on the backside. That's kind of why he started to do, we started to do the work that we're doing was, you know, these guys were expected to go overseas and then come back and pivot quickly to be a dad or a husband. And the reality is, is they had no time to process. So um, I feel like helping the folks in regards to being, I guess, more of what the their norm was prior to being on those missions um, was a big goal for establishing the station and helping prevent the matters that we were seeing come to the forefront. And, that and let's be honest, there. and I'll say it so that you don't get, you don't get uh, harangued for it. This is a shortfall of our government. Oh yeah, I'm And Station Foundation and Valor are very similar in that capacity because, you know, I and I've heard this from a friend of mine who was in uh, in the teams in in DevGrew, and he, you know, the the U.S. military will spend upwards of several million dollars to train every Navy SEAL. Each and indiv each individual Navy SEAL, especially by the time they get up to like SEAL Team Six, it's like millions of dollars on training, or Delta Force, or you know the Rangers, millions of dollars to train them. And then when they're out, they they completely wash their hands of them. The the you know the VA. I don't have to tell you the VA medical system. I've worked in several VAs. The VA medical system is broken. It does not work. It does not serve our military at all in the capacity that they deserve it. And as is the case with Valor, these guys can't get proper medical care that they deserve. And I mean, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's absolute bullshit. I mean, my, my friend was on the helicopter that crashed in Abbottabad and, you know, he came through, he almost got, almost got, 
not only did he almost get killed in the crash, but was shot at in the compound. Came back, pain in his neck. The, uh, you know, well, it wasn't the VA at the time, but it was military hospital. It wouldn't wouldn't even image his spine. Oh my God! Couldn't even get him. Couldn't even get an MRI authorized, and he yeah. finally got to, to to Dr. Bray, imaged him. He had like three compression fractures in his cervical spine, and ended up having surgery, like I think three or four different spine surgeries to correct it. And like it's just why why is our government spending so much money? They're investing so much money for them to go, but to come back, it's because they make money to go zero. to war. That's yeah. why, because they make a lot of money when we go to war. Yeah, and and I think you know when you saw you know two two years ago when we when we um, exited out of Afghanistan, I mean that was like the bottom falling out for a lot of people because there was still this like small grasp of like well we we did some good work, right? Like at the tactical operational levels, we we did some really really important work, and then you see the collapse of twenty years in like two weeks. And um, then in your home and the country's forgotten about, I mean, they went to sleep and, and I don't think it's a mistake or I don't think it's a coincidence that when guys uh, kill themselves in the parking lot of a VA, they're sending a message. Right. And when they're sitting there with a, a stack of medical files and the VA is inept and incompetent to help them we have to take a good look at that. And so part of our work, as much as it is to helping the, the families and, and those war fighters come home, I think it's also um, educating the, the country on the costs of war and being incredibly careful on how we beat the war drum and, and where that takes our country. Because like now it's going to be my kids, right? Like the next one is going to be my kids. And, and, uh, and like, I, I, I don't, I don't want my kids going through what my friends are going through right now. And, and I, and I would love to be out of work, right? Like I'd love for someone to say, Hey, Kev, it's over. We can, we can, we can, (laughs) yeah, we can turn the lights off, but it's not. And let's not be, let's not pretend that we're not in other places in the world right now, influencing um, actions internationally. And, and, and even more so it's even quieter. It's in like in the shadows of what we typically do. So it's way more risky now. Um, it's way more uncertain and it's still going. So, you know, for, for the last like 15 years of combat, like, you know, guys knew where they were pretty much going. Um, they, they had an idea of some of that stuff. And, and now I'd say it's a bit more dynamic in that area. And, uh, and that affects the families, right? So like I, I deployed on my son's first birthday and uh, everybody was at the house and we were having birthday cake and I'm at work uh, receiving the briefing and um, and that stuff is happening way more, like te- like five, 10 X of what I experienced when I was in. And so that's, you know, that stressor on the families, it, it, it just causes this drop in the, in the, the ability to have stability and, and some predictability in their lives. And this is what we continue to ask of them. And so for me, like when Afghanistan closed down, people thought, okay, like everything's over. And for us, we're like, oh man, like it's just beginning. It's, it's just starting to begin now where guys feel 
comfortable to to come to us and 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 talk about that stuff. And we've been picking away at it for 10 years. Right? Like our community is very insular, it's very skeptical of outsiders, it's very discreet and private. Uh it keeps its door tightly closed and and it doesn't want the outside world to come in and fix its problems. And so for us, you know, being born within the community and understanding the the culture and the nuances, I think it helps us be able to access those families that are that are struggling, knowing that they're not going to come through and, and get their guns taken away or be grounded from flying or anything like that, that they're dealing with like a spiritual condition of going to war and and the things that they end up trying to uh, like compensate with or kind of like put a bandaid on. Like th- those are the things that we try to like remove and help them understand that, man, there's a there's a whole life ahead of you. And it's beautiful. And, and the experiences that you've gone through can, can help form that, that beauty as much as it's been painful or as much as it's been hard to process and navigate. So, so you guys, so Kevin and Shannon gave, sent me a, a wonderful gift. And, and I actually, I, you said, I, I, know, I know I have two of them. The other one is in my living room in a box still oh, because nice. I haven't been able to, to uh, deliver it on target. <laughs> yeah. But I, so they gave me probably the best gift that I've ever received from a patient ever. And you haven't even seen it yet, but it's, it's an American flag. And I want, and it's a very special American flag. Can you, as a, sort of uh, segue to explaining what you guys do on campus. Can you just a, a explain the framed American flag and then B explain the process so that our, our viewers and listeners can understand what you guys are doing at uh, camp Kevin and Shannon. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So the, the American flag that, that we made for you is, um, is a large, uh, I think it's like three by two um, flag that's made out of uniforms uh, from service members in the special operations community that they wore in combat and they bring home and they bring out to Montana to deconstruct and rebuild. And, and it's and it's part of a larger uh, curriculum around identity and service and, and the impacts of war and, and how our uniform uh kind of captures and absorbs all that. And so, you, you know, when you think of military service, you all often think of those combat uniforms, you know, the fatigues that we wear uh, overseas when we're on target. And a, a friend of mine who's also a veteran that worked with us uh, integrated this idea of papermaking into our program. One, it's completely different. There's only a few people in the world doing it. And for us, it man, it just like dives deep into this idea of identity and service. And, and, it, and, it's a, and it's a platform for us to go and explore, hey, when you put this uniform on, what does it mean? And, and what does your family see in it? And when you come home and, and you put it away, does that mean that you're putting your identity away? And, and when you transition out, you no longer have all this stuff on your uniform to demonstrate what you've done. And, and how does that impact you? For some people, it's like totally freeing. Right. Like that they're not confined to these ribbons and schools and things that that when you look at someone, you can tell like they've been places. Other guys, it's terrifying. And other guys don't bring their uniforms out in front of their family. Uh, A lot of us don't wear our uniforms to work unless we're actually doing work. 
and uh, we keep a we keep a really tight boundary around our work clothes and you know what you know our our civilian clothes. And um, by taking these uniforms out and putting them in the center of a room and talking about them and talking about our experiences and how they they shape and inform us, um, it it allows us to reflect and and understand like wow I never even I never even had the time to think about it or even really process what my identity is and how my military experiences are just cooked into it. And so one of the things I get to do with the guys is when I have enough of the material, um, we make special flags and and these flags are much larger and, um, and we get them framed and, and we only make them on very, very, very special occasions. And so um, we made one for President Obama. Um, he has one uh, in his office and we make it for people that are very, very close to us uh, who have shown up and who have made a difference in our lives. And I tell you, like when we first had our phone call, um, Kev, when we were on, you know, Zoom and we were going through this, um, for someone to take the time to care, like genuinely, authentically care about us and and to say, like, I've got you. To me, it was like a no brainer. Like this guy's getting a flag, and uh, I tr- I try to keep it under wraps and everything. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know until it showed up. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. I was like, I was getting your like, oh my, yeah, God. I was getting your address and everything, and making sure it got delivered and all that. But like, it was on- honestly, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. It's what such an honor. An honor. It's such so an cool. Honor. I can't wait for you to. Yeah, see this. I have a question. For- oh, no. go ahead, go yeah. ahead, Kevin. No, I was just going to say like what once just belonged to us in a very small, exclusive community, it now belongs to you. And we trust that you'll take care of it. Of course. And we know you will. It's actually, I actually have uh, someone coming to finally hang it. It's been sitting like propped up on my wall in my office (laughs) since you guys sent it over. And so I'm finally, it's going to be a prominent display on my That's office awesome. wall. So the next time Good. you guys come to the come to LA, you'll see it there. What an amazing awesome. and beautiful gift. I it, mean, honestly, yeah, that's really I, cool. now I now I know when you said it's the best gift you ever got. It, it I, really I really is get the it. Thing ever. So I have a question for both of you. Um, can you both share either a personal story or or the moment that you realized the importance of creating the station foundation? Was there a pivotal moment for both of you where you're like, we have to do this, 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 and, mm-hmm. and come up with this idea. Do you want me to jump on that first or give you, give you a minute or do you have one? Uh, I mean, if you jump on it, then I'm silent for the rest go, of the time. All right, Kevin, Shannon, let's hear it. Yeah. I don't really think there was a moment where I knew that the station needed to exist. I remember a moment and I share this a lot with the guys when I share my story with them that I knew there needed to be a change in our home dynamic. So um, when the guys come out, you know, I work with spouses and um, kids, but Kevin does programs for the service members. And I always do a discussion that's kind of brutally honest as to what it is like to be a spouse in service in, in the special operations community. And a lot of times the guys are hearing the same thing they hear at home, just from somebody else. So it kind of resonates a little bit more or they right. can embrace it a little bit more. Um, and I always share the story of our son. Um, and he was maybe eight, gosh, probably two, maybe three. Um, and Kevin, we called it the revolving door. He was home gone. He was 
at the office late. He was training. He was overseas. We just never knew. And I just lived life without him. Basically, you just schedule your life without them. And then if they can join you, it's like, okay, good, you're here. Um, But you're also trying to maintain the home front and keep it stable. And so raising the kids on your own and, you know, three strikes, you're out with discipline for me. So it was kind of like, okay, this is the third time you're doing something, Colin, like you need to go to your room and settle down. And um, I heard a bang when he went in there and I thought, oh man, what is he doing? Like, what is he throwing? What's going on? And he was actually banging his head against the wall. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, he was in trouble for doing something and, you know, Kevin not being there, he never knew if he was just not a good kid in general. And so he was just saying like, I'm a good boy. <laughs> it makes me emotional. Right. Um, I'm a good boy. He's um, I'm a daddy. Mm-hmm. He just keeps saying, I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy. Um, and that was because you're you're you see like he would see helicopters and he knew Kevin flew helicopters <laughs> and daddy's and every helicopter is daddy to those kids because they're so proud. Right. Um, and then he's not coming home. And so as a kid, we would say, um, daddy has to work. I don't even know how he has to go to another place like far away but to a kid they don't like two or three they don't understand geography right. <laughs> they don't know Kevin's not back here flying again so for him it was like daddy's overhead I can see him but he's not coming in my door but Mr. Adam next door is going home in his uniform and so now I'm in trouble by mom dad's not coming like it's just this confusing piece right. of so I mean I just like sat on his bed and I was like Something needs to change. This is very confusing for his brain. And you don't give kids enough credit that they can process information. And you don't understand how they're processing it differently than what you're trying to express. And so when I saw that my son was so confused, he thought he was like misbehaving and a bad kid. That's why dad's not coming home. It was kind of like, okay, we really need to figure this out. And it was right around that. And then there's another funny story, but you don't like it <laughs> at the table. It was, we were then sitting at the table one night. So um, we had just come back from vacation. Like I said, we live as if, you know, he could be there. Then that's awesome. If not, we need to plan our lives in general. So Colin and I would always go back East to see my family. We'd go to the shore and spend time with them around his birthday. And then, you know, my, my brother-in-laws are all there. My sisters are there, their cousins and Kevin would be there if he could. This year he couldn't, so he wasn't there. We came home, we're sitting at the table and having dinner, Colin and I, Kevin's still gone. And he looks at, he points to Kevin's chair and he goes, we should get a guy to sit there. Like <laughs> we should get a, what about Uncle Brile? Mm-hmm. It was like, what is it? What is it like to these kids? It's like dad's presence in and out. That, that's their norm. They don't know what it's like to have dad come home every night at a normal time, having dinner with them, being involved. Like he didn't know what that looked like. And so um, I knew I was exhausted from the lifestyle. And then, you know, I would have never prioritized myself as a need for change. But when I saw it impacting my kid and I worked with kids that had a huge heart for helping kids, I was just like, I can't neglect my own son's needs right now. And so that's where I knew a shift needed to happen, but he can tell you, when he knew the station needed to happen or the genesis of it. I think like the two examples Shannon gave, like those were happening all the time at work. 
and, you know, they would hit the radar and then they would drop off. And you're not reading about this stuff or seeing it on like Fox News or CNN. Like we're very insular. And I started seeing all these guys going through like these really, really tough problems back home. And there was like really nothing that I felt safe or confident with that I would send guys to. And I wouldn't go to it. And so I was like, man, if I wouldn't go to it, like, why do I expect anybody else to go to it? And and for me, it was like, it was kind of born out of some of that frustration in the beginning that like, hey, we got to, we got to address this. And we, and, and at the time, no one was really doing anything. So when you think back like 12 years ago, you know, it, it wasn't a thing um, like it is today where there's like thousands of, you know, services that are out there now. And I looked at our community, I said like, no one, no one can even get close to us. And if I can figure out a way to support our community and something that they'll buy into, then anybody will buy into it. Like that, they are the hardest group to crack, me being one of them. And the examples that Shannon gave are are common. It's 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 the new normal. So that abnormal that we live in just become just normalizes and it just becomes normal. Why I still do this work is honestly, it's like every different program at the end of it, uh, I see more needs to be done. And so whether Shannon's working with spouses or we're working together with kids or I'm working with the guys, um, I think there are uh, some serious, deep challenges and problems in coming home from war that aren't solved overnight, that that don't get um, relieved with just a pill. And it, and it takes like this journey, both like physical and spiritual and emotional to come home from war. And, and so now like what you see the challenge, but we've been really solution focused, right? So there's a lot of other people out there that, you know, can hop on a podcast and talk about all the problems that we're going through. And for us, it's like, okay, we're going to spend like 15, 20% of our time, like making sure that we all understand the problems but we don't have to take a lot of time to do that. Like everybody is feeling it. And so now it's like, all right, what we really need are solutions. What we really need is like creative, committed people to develop programs that help people process through this stuff and reconcile it and don't continue to live with this like cyclical shame and guilt of being an absent dad. Like think about a community of warriors, right? Like the best in the world. And they are absent in their children's lives, not because they choose to or because they want to. It's because what we're asking them to do and they can't come home and talk about it, nor do they really want to talk about it. And so now they're like wrestling with this stuff inside. And what is our solution? We don't have any nationally or from the government. Here, go to the VA and wait six weeks to talk to a shrink or to get a medication or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, and those medications so, kill guys. So what? Like the, so what can our listeners do? What can we do to support the cause? Like, what is the best way? Is it donations? Is there volunteerism? How can our viewers connect with Station Foundation to help the cause? Because obviously, you know, not all of us. I mean, Elizabeth and I, we weren't we weren't in special forces. Like, how can we help? Are there things that people can volunteer to do to help you? I know you guys have your your week long retreats and stuff. Are there? Are, do you guys accept 
volunteers? Is it just you just need money to pay for the staff that you have? What what is it exactly that that are that we can do to help facilitate? Yeah, and thank you for asking. Uh, I think there's like two big areas if people are listening, like where they can kind of like make impact. If you're talking specifically about the station, both volunteering and, and financial capacity are, are huge impacts. You know, the things that we do, um, they cost money. And to hire and train and, and have world-class facilitators takes takes money. To bring program after program after program through here and to expand our programming nationally, it does. It takes committed uh, donors and, and supporters to make that happen. And, and people come in at all different levels. And so one, absolutely, like from a financial standpoint, uh, we, we don't go out and like rake money out of people and run away. Like we're very targeted. We're very committed to having like those authentic supporters come in and support. And if, and if financially is unavailable, I think we all have gifts, right? I think there's people who, who have gifts to make a difference in people's lives. And, and it's as simple as just shooting me an email um, through our website and connecting and having a conversation. And I typically find people with you know good hearts that have a gift uh, fit in really well with us. That's us. I think nationally, those conversations continue. We still need to have those conversations. We still need these opportunities for people to sit back and listen and to reflect. And I think it's as simple as just in your own community, finding ways to impact those families, whether you're close to a military installation or whether somebody moved in next door and you know they served and they're kind of weird, right? Like they're probably not going to go out and introduce themselves to you. And it's like, so how do we how do we make our military community feel like they belong? Well, and I also think the station's very family focused. That's differentiates us from a lot of other organizations. And I think the awareness of the spouse's impact in the military and their role is so important because people don't understand how much the military spouse does. Um, and we were practically running a small business when he was in command. I was doing a lot of work to oversee all of the families, putting together events, disseminating information, notifying people when there were things going on. You know, had the, I had to update rosters. The reason I had to update rosters and have contact information was in case something went wrong and I had to notify somebody. Right. So like these spouses aren't just at home making dinner and taking care of kids. They're also carrying the weight and the uncertainty. And a lot of them don't even realize the burden that they're carrying of like, is my husband coming home? Like that morbidity that sits with them all the time. And nobody knows it. Like the country doesn't think about that. They think about the service member and how much they're going through. That comes home. Everything that they're going through comes home. And there's like a secondary impact on the spouses that then impacts the kids because mom doesn't know how to manage the stress. And and it just becomes a vicious cycle within the military world with the coming and going. And so I think if people are aware as well that military spouses need your help, they're not going to ask for it. Definitely, especially not in soft. In special operations, the spouses are going to grind it and they're going to push through because they're just as tough as their husband. They're not going to let anybody see any cracks, Right. But for you probably to extend tougher. yourself and just do something, what'd you say? So you're probably tougher. I think they might be more like, I feel that they step back a lot. So there's this, they call these guys the quiet professionals, but I always say these women are quiet professionals and they live in the shadow of the shadow because they step back from their world. They have careers and they step back from it because they know that in order for our nation to be safe, their husband has to go do a mission in order for their husband to be sane and focused and on target properly. They need to have a house that's stable. They need their husband to know everything's under control 
like bills are paid, lawns taken care of, kids are going to school, everything is good back here. You go do your thing and come back, and there's we're not going to miss a beat here. Um, right. And so I think that's the difference. But they're both very strong, tough personalities. Well, I really appreciate Shannon and uh, Kevin the vulnerability you gave me. Uh, just that story of that pivotal moment that you knew something needed to be done. I never thought of the impact that it could have on kids because kids internalize everything. Everything is their fault. They have no idea. So you gave me and, and me and probably a lot of listeners a perspective on the family life that we don't really like we, we, we say, oh yeah, the families are affected, but you like that story that you being vulnerable, Kevin, Shannon, and telling that story really kind of puts things in perspective. So thank you for, for sharing that. Yes. Thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing. Um, two very quick questions and quick responses requested. Yeah. Number one is I always ask, cause we're over time, yeah. but I always ask everybody, had you not, like, had you not gone into your career of choice, like, what do you think you would have done? So what would, what would that be for each of you? I would still be serving some capacity. That's been my space in general. I mean, serving families when I was a speech pathologist was important in helping people. I would be in a space that's helping people for sure. I teach. Yeah. Right. Maybe in some new England college teaching philosophy. Philosophy. Oh, that's my son's. Tor- that's what he's majoring in. <laughs> That's what I, that was my major at school. Yeah. So, oh, wow. yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. I like that. All right, great. So uh, really quick, tell us. Tell us how everyone can get a hold of you guys. If they want to yeah. donate, if they want to volunteer, if they want to support you in some other capacity. Sure. What, yeah, how, you can find we... us. Yeah, you can find us at the stationfoundation.org. And we're on social media as well. Um, yeah, very little, what's, but we're on what's, there. What's the Instagram handle? Uh, state, I think it's station foundation, NDN, FNDN at the end. And I can send these to you as well. If you, if you post them, but, um, yeah, we'll, station we'll, FNDN, we'll, we'll put Instagram. them up on the screen. Yeah. yeah. They can reach out and our numbers online. It's on our website and, and that's a, uh, email or, or, or phone direct to us. And if someone's interested in supporting or, um, presenting their gifts to the people that we work with, like, I'd love, I'd love to hear from you. And and I appreciate you guys giving us the space to, to share what we do and who we are and, and, and how that's impacted us um, on our journey. So thanks well, guys. We appreciate you both. We appreciate what all of our veterans do, but like um, to hear the stories individually is always, it always has an impact on me. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you both. I'm so happy to see you guys. And, and if I don't see you, because uh, if you don't come back to LA, I'll have to come visit you in Bozeman. <laughs> That's I a fair trade. This in LA. That's what I said. I didn't get to go to the beach when I was out there recovering. I was like, we're going to do the podcast in LA. So I can go to the beach. Well, it's kind of, I was spo- actually supposed to go to the beach today after this, but it's raining. It's out. raining. So we've, we've had more uh, rain here than I think you guys had up in Montana this, this year. Yeah. Yeah. You guys got yes. hit. <laughs> Pretty All right, good. You guys. All right, guys. All right. Thanks thank for you. your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We'll see you. Thank we'll you see so you much. Soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the OR with Dr. Brenner. Make sure to subscribe, like, and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Kevin Brenner MD and KevinBrennerMD.com. <laughs>